Welcome back, everybody. It is On the Corner with your host, uh, not Nick Pollock, Van Burnett here from Winds Above Fantasy. I am actually the guest today joining Nick to talk about my too early mock draft here for the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Uh, Nick, very much looking forward to it. I believe this is the third time we've done this. Sorry, I'm a little under the weather, but very much looking forward to it. How's it going, sir? How you doing, Van? What is happening? Yeah, this is uh, this is we're, we're continuing the series that we've been doing, um, covering all the uh, the mock drafts from that mock draft we did in the beginning of October, and I think uh, I don't know when this one will be going out. It might be even be December. We're recording in the middle of November. Uh, we just saw like the first trade of the off season, really, of like Michael Soroka, and then there's also a um, uh, Cal Quantrill deal, I guess, because of all the non tenders. Um, so there might be some things in this podcast that is a little dated by the time you hear it. We apologize. But we are going over this uh, 12-team mock draft we did. And for those that have forgotten, 12 teams, 23 uh, players per roster, three outfielders, two utility spots, no middle infield, no corner infield. Uh, it's five by five, head-to-head, and your standard stats with Yahoo um, eligibility. And uh, Van Burnett here, of course, you know this voice from Wins Above Fantasy on the podcast network. You've been doing it for three years or something now, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and uh, Van, uh, we're going to talk about your draft today. But before we even jump into that, I uh, I want to kind of hear uh, you know what you guys are doing at Wins Above Fantasy for this offseason. Yeah, so... Uh... Up until kind of closer to draft season, we'll be every other Thursday putting shows out. So uh, we just actually released a show yesterday in, in our recording time, Nick, but a couple of weeks back that was breaking down second half pitcher breakouts and kind of assessing which of those we felt were legit, which of them might have been fluky. Uh, mm-hmm. But throughout the the whole offseason, we cover kind of general fantasy. We have some guests on, uh, but we we typically go through and, and talk about all things, you know, our draft targets, sleepers, uh, pitcher targets, hitter targets. Uh, every year, Steve and I kind of build up to our chalkboard and bold predictions. And our chalkboard is basically where we put pen to paper and say, of everyone on the board, these are the guys that we feel will finish 20% ahead of their ADP or 20% behind. Ah, and then we keep nice. it as like a report card every year. So, yeah, yeah it's... Really um, cool. I love that. Yeah, so it's... it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Like you said, we've done it three years now. So I think the first year was really getting into a rhythm. And now Steve and I have a, a nice flow and we've kind of learned from both of each other on on uh, how to get better at this fun game. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to your second half stuff, uh, who was a major like, no, no, this is so fluky second half, not going to repeat. Um, let me see who we, we got. Cause I here. mean, it might be your fourth round guy. That's what I'm saying uh, here. Hey, let's, let's, you know, and I don't uh, bury I'm, the just, lead, I'm just throwing but... that out there as a tease for this. But, uh, before we get into the draft, I asked a couple questions to everybody here. And, uh, first one, it, did you have a strategy going into this? You had the, the first overall pick. I actually don't know if that was by design or not. Did you choose that first overall pick on your own? Or I did. Was it given to you? Okay. I did. Yeah. I was and actually like five in the morning. The first, the, the, the board was <laughs> open and I like woke up and was like, oh, I'm taking one, one. There you go. So, okay. So you decided to take that one. So from the one, one, did you have a certain strategy going into this? Yes, I think I, I always view this draft as kind of the pilot, but I was sticking with the same approach uh, from last year of fading uh, starting pitching early 
mm-hmm. and then trying to kind of hammer the mighty middle and, and follow your formula a bit there, Nick, on the four for floor strategy. I'm trying to get four pitchers for floor and then and then throw darts after that, but definitely looking at bats early on. And uh, I know it kind of rolls into my first pick of Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, spoiler I mean, alert. Obvious. We don't we don't need to spend any time <laughs> on Ronald Acuna Jr. He should but be the number li- one pick in your draft. We can just kind of move on past that one. It's easy. Uh, sorry, I don't know if you had like 20 million things to say about Ronald Acuna Jr. But I like, don't. I just what I would add is I, I think he's one. so good and he was so good that it's not just the obvious number one pick, but I think it's the obvious that you should want the number one pick over any other uh, pick because he's that good. I think that's the enough, more yeah. debate of it. Yeah, that's fun. Um, but uh, so so that was your strategy going into this. Did you find that as you went through it or even as you finished that you might want to rethink what you did? Or is it really the thing that you feel that in March you'll be doing? Um, I think I would kind of swap the players, but I think I was fine with the actual structure of my build, if that makes sense. I think uh, once you go Acuna, my analogy is, is it's like you have your opponents, the rest of the league in check, and all you have to do is kind of lean on them with safe hitters that are very good. Sure. A- and then it's like your advantage is already so far out in front of them with Acuna basically being two players in one. Um from a power speed standpoint that you have a huge advantage. So just don't screw it up with the bats. And, <laughs> and then uh, pitching. Yeah. Like I said, I think I might swap a couple things that I learned as we went here, but pitching's always fun without ADP. Cause you're kind of, you know, you don't have anything to kind of cheat off of. Sure. Um, so, okay. So after uh, Pete Alonso, sorry, after uh, Acuna Jr. Was Pete Alonso's, you had the two, three turn here. Um, was Alonso, I mean, really, I'm going to say really these two picks are always going to be paired together because you take them at the same time. It's yep. Alonso Endeavors. Um, I really like the the Devers, I believe, at the at the turn here. Um, was there a certain strategy of positions that you're looking to fill or is this just the best hitter available? Yeah, d- there's definitely a cliff for first base. Um, I think once you get past, like I really like the value of Goldschmidt in the fifth round, but mm-hmm. after Goldie... It, it seems like a pretty stark drop off to me when you're talking about sure. like Torkelson, Tristan Casas. Um, I love Vinny P in general, but overall, yeah, I wanted to address first base early on. And Alonzo to me really feels like this year's Matt Olson, where everything looked kind of unlucky. Um, incredible floor. I mean, even for the down year that he had, just hitting 217, he still had 46 homers, 118 RBIs and finished 27th on the Rasball player Raider. So that was like an off year. And that's only three spots behind where I'm getting him right now at 24. Uh, the the upshot is that he actually hits closer to like 250 or the previous two years, he was 262, 271. So this is a guy that for a long time, we just had pinned at like the turn of the first and second round. And to get him at the end of the second round at a shallow position in first base, I just think there's, there's nothing but upside here for, you know, 45, 50 homers even, an average that won't hurt you. And then the counting stats are, are incredible, of course. So that's where I was at with with Alonzo on this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty wild how much production you just got out of your first two picks. Obviously, average is going to need to be supported somehow. And I think you actually did address that. Um, but uh, but I'm with you on the Alonzo comp, I mean, to, uh, to Olsen. I don't like doing this kind of very simple, quick analysis, but it is pretty easy to say like, okay, it was a 205 BABIP. 
<laughs> right, right. Like, I mean, do I really need to do more than this? When it's like a 410 of Keston Shira back in the day, yeah. or like the 205 here, it's like, well, fine. He's not going to have that. Well, and to go and deeper, cool. to, to, to jump in too, he had a wrist sprain in June. And if ah. you look at like his his rolling charts of power and even his like decision rolling charts dipped around that time. So I don't know if that was factoring in. I mean, I'm not going to say that that was 45 points of batting average, but, you know, th- these guys are yeah. humans, right? So an injury in the middle what? of the season can make uh, things a lot more difficult. So there that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and then there's Nevers who... I think is a good support pick because traditionally, I mean, he's above average as a as an average guy. Um, two seventy one this past year, thirty three home runs, ninety runs, and hundred RBI. And we generally just expect Devers to be that. I I don't really see any reason why not. And these are really three solid picks for your offense right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I think these two, in a weird way, oatmealy picks are the perfect follow up for Acuna uh, because, like I said, it's like you're just basically solidifying already have yes. the pack right yeah and endeavors fourth in the league in hard contact like what a quiet guy that just gets it done every single year just like a metronome of 30 plus 270 plus and close to 200 runs in rbis so sure. yeah n- not okay. not much to say beyond that other than the fact that he always chips in on steals too so small bonus not to be I mean, forgotten chips in, he had five last year he's had eight a couple years ago right in 2019 and the <laughs> chips in that's you know it depends on He's how you describe chips over in. the last four seasons including 2020 of course but that was zero great um, chipper in there 13 okay, Devers, you know uh, whatever so so here's the thing i don't know if you listen to the podcast um miles nelson and i did from first pitch arizona uh, Not yet. Is this a, okay. is this a segue to round four? Well, here? here's the thing. One of the one of the highlights of that is, of course, you know, Saras joining us for a moment, uh, and it's also a live video actually on the Baseball HQ's uh, YouTube channel. I really encourage it because it's so fun seeing you know there and everything. Um, the one of the bigger points of contention in my early rankings in the top 200 was Blake Snell. This is the guy you took at the end of the fourth round here. Uh huh. And I had on the list there 33. Innately, it's actually because Brandon Woodruff is already removed from it. It's already up to 32 at the most, at the minimum. And I've already even conceded probably want to have him like 29 or 30. I got into a large argument with Eno on it. It was a really fun conversation. And then we realized that like he wanted him at like 29 and I am at 33. Like there's not really? much of a, big, of a big difference. And I say that because you took Snell as the, it looks like the 10th starter off the board, maybe the ninth even um, mm-hmm. of this draft, uh, turning down Pablo Lopez, Aaron Nola, George Kirby, uh, to say the least, Tyler Glasnow, Derek Skubal, et cetera. Why are you going after Blake Snell at the end of the fourth? And do you still want to do this pick? I think Pablo is the one that I would swap. Um, I have looked into all other variables and I don't know that I want any of those guys over Blake Snow. And why is that? Well, I think the blanket broad statement is I don't buy it that he's the luckiest man on the planet, which is oh, what, would, that either. which is what would have to be true no. for the past 261 innings. He <laughs> has had a 237 ERA and 344 strikeouts. Like, I think we 
point to the walks and we point to like the left on base rate and, and things like this. And then we, we kind of throw away that like, yeah, he's got good swing and miss stuff. No, it's not like good swing and miss stuff. It is like three of the top seven pitches in all of baseball swing and miss stuff. So like, that's where I am just, I, I don't know how you can put like a, uh, who's one that's like a Cole Reagan's ahead of him because he's already shown this for a season and a half. First of all, don't bring Cole Reagan's into this. That is just wrong. Reagan's, um, Bobby Miller, whoever it is, like you can't, like you could say maybe he belongs near like 15, 20, but I cannot believe 30, okay. man. So um, you guys have probably heard me talk about Blake Snell so much and you're tired of it. And I'm not going to labor on this. Uh, I'm just going to say very quickly, the one there's one game and I really, really want to emphasize everybody doing any sort of starting pitching analysis for your teams. Just watch like a couple innings of every pitcher you think that you're in on at some point. Just it's not very hard to, to locate it. You can do it through baseball savant, through MLB film room. It's free. You can probably look up games even on YouTube and you'll see it. Um, I implore all of you to just take a moment and just watch the games and ask yourself, are they executing what they want to do? It, what, did they make mistakes? Did they not? How is this working? And if you want to watch one for Blake Snell, it's August 28th against the Cardinals. This is a game where he went seven innings, two hits, zero earned runs, five hit, five walks, and nine strikeouts. And why that one's so important for Blake Snell is because you see exactly how he prevented runs from crossing the plate. He had a moment where there's a man on second and one out. And he pitches around Goldschmidt. He pitches around Arenado. And then he attacks the next guys up. Um, the six and seven hitters. And he gets strikeouts from them. He actually got a 3-0 on one of them and then came back and got it. And Blake Snell did so well at towing the line just enough that he executed enough pitches when he needed to. It wasn't luck. It was just him in those moments, bearing down and getting it done. And when I say towing the line, I was the biggest supporter of Blake Snell winning the Cy Young because what he did this year wasn't lucky. He deserved it. The question as fantasy analysts, though, is that just because you deserve to have the success for this amount of time, does that mean you're going to deserve it tomorrow? And my argument is that Blake Snell is doing such a fragile uh precarious dance that it's not a safe play to expect him to be able to execute again when he's not in that rhythm. And we see every year that he doesn't have that rhythm to start the year, that he needs time to eventually find it. I remember in 2022, we waited until like July for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2023, April was bad and it looked a little bit better in May. And then it really kicked off really about the end of May and May 25th against the Nationals. And then he just zoomed. Uh, I mean, it was like a 120 ERA after that. There's no way he's going to have a 120 ERA over like 20 starts again. No. So Blake Snell to me is risky. And if you think that he's in the top 20 of starters, by all means, do it. It does to me go against what you said of getting high floor guys specifically. I think Blake Snell is more dangerous and volatile as a starter. Also, will give you anxiety as a manager in April. You will not know if he's in that groove or not, if he's going to get there. And even if he does in the second half, you still need to then have that discipline 
to believe it in the first three months. So all of that encompassing why I don't want to go for Blake Snell in my top 10 starters, not in my top 20. I think Bobby Miller is a more complete pitcher and stable with a high ceiling to chase. I think Cole Reagan's what he does with five pitches and he did it with every start that I saw is more believable to me than what Blake Snell has done. So that's my take on it. Um, kind of curious how you feel about that. I just, I guess career 320 ERA, like the whip is always going to be high. The walks are always going to be delicate last year. That was, that's not a top 10 guy. No, it's not, but, but his 234 strikeouts over 180 innings. Like we haven't seen that from Miller. We haven't seen that from Reagan's. And like, when you look at his, I mean, we're talking six straight seasons of a 30% K rate or higher. Like that is floor of a different caliber. It's not floor with ratios, which is how we view floor usually, but he's going to get you strikeouts. It's, I just don't think, and and like you said, it it was intentional when he did walk around guys and like him, he talked about it. Ruben Niebla talked about it. That that was like an approach. And he also had things that approach wise, he changed to break out in the second half where his fastball usage dropped under 50% for the first time in his career. Like I just, he just seems like such a smart tinkerer. He's won two Cy Youngs. To me, the biggest question is volume, not, uh, production. And mm-hmm. I think if you give me 160 innings of Snell, I'm blindly just going to take that over Miller, Reagan's, whatever it is, even if it comes with a 122 whip, because I think that the strikeouts hurts, are proven. Well, here's the yeah, thing th- though. So then wait, wait, so then don't you want Hunter Green later? No, because Hunter Green's not going to have a 320 career whip after right, 992 right, yeah. innings. Sure. If 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 Blake Snell is giving me a 122 whipper though, or like 125, I don't think he's gonna have the same dance of like a two like 90 array or something. I don't know. It, it's a it's I I completely hear what you're saying. Like there is a track record of just being productive in fantasy, um, and the way I see it, kind of is Blake Snell is the top 10 guy. To me, you have to be able to be an SP one like overall if I'm getting you in the top 10 starters and you can't, if you're Blake Snell, because your whip will not be under one, one five. Yeah. Um, and that Cause he is, was third. He was, he, he finished third last year. He was the second best picture pitcher of the second half in, in 22. Yeah. I mean, that's but I, I guess you're right that it's always the whip that's holding him back there. Right. That that's my biggest thing, but that, you know, maybe, maybe I am overlooking the, the track record of ERA and ratios or really ERA with strikeouts. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun conversation. Um, we're going to continue to, uh, your other pick around the, the fourth, fifth turn that is Christian Yelich. And this is what I was talking about when it came to, uh, balancing with, uh, your average, because yeah, that it's going to be lower. It's not going to be as what it was for Alonso. It's going to be lower. And neither of those guys, Acuna or Devers are really destined to be, I mean, they could be 300 plus, but I don't really think we're expecting it. Now, we had a 278 this past year uh, for Yelich after two seasons. I'm not really, actually three seasons, I should say, of just not being there with average, but it's coming back up. And this feels like a relatively safe play here in the fifth round. Is it as overwhelmingly um, productive for a fifth round? And it's kind of like that interesting area where hitters start to drop off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think I heard you guys uh, when you were talking with Steve about the Jazz Chisholm pick, I was nodding my head in my car like, yes, this is definitely when 
it feels like you're no longer at the top of the draft anymore when you look right. at the names, which is probably reason enough to, if anything, if I love Blake Snow, why not just double tap Pablo Lopez here instead of Yelich? Exactly. That said, I do think Yelich is one that the more I spend time with it, the more I like it. It is a little bit boring, um, but he's, it's funny. He's like followed uh, Cody Bellinger's entire like career trajectory in the past five years, but Yelich he might be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the new rules because he's had a lot of issues with the ground ball rate in the past few seasons outside of like the MVP year. And with the the shift being reduced, uh, he saw that ground ball rate really improve his average where it jumped from 252 up to 278. Um, and then on the base paths, the steals jumped from 19 up to 28 steals last year. And what's most exciting to me about that is he only got caught three times. So if I'm, you know, looking at everyone else in the league who's running like crazy, why not attempt 40 steals if you're Yelich and your success rate is that high? Um, I know he's on the wrong side of 30, but like when you put it all together, the 19 homers, 28 steals, a 278 average, he finished 28th on the Rasball player Raider, and that was just in 144 games. So this was like a great season for Yelich. Um, and it's like the hoomst game of like covering up the name like it looked like trey turner's stat line minus like seven homers um all the stuff under the hood looks good 73rd percentile in ipa we know he's always had a good eye at the plate and, and been a good hitter um but to me i think this is just like the last bankable power speed average guy that's that's on the board um and outfield can also fall off a cliff last year was the first year where that kind of like hit me in the face uh, but this year, like you look at the outfielders after him, um, Lane Thomas, yes, but just one year. It's like track record. Cedric Mullins has regressed quite a bit. Josh Lowe, you got the platoon stuff. Jordan Walker hasn't proven it. Brian Reynolds, you're not getting the speed. Like, Yelich just felt like a fit here, I guess. Yeah. I The the second half really did hurt Yelich. Contact ability went down. Decision value went down. Um, power went down across, like I'd say, the last two months of the year. Um, and there is something that is a little worrisome about that. Maybe there was, um, I mean, there could have easily been an injury that affected him. Um, could have been some regression of skill. I don't know. Um, something to keep in mind there. But yeah, he's been also a really good uh, run producer. I mean, 106 last year, 99 in 2022. Um, and Yelich, still with that walk rate, means that his uh, on-base percentage, 370 last year, that's great. Opening the door for more steals. And I do imagine, yeah, 28 stolen bases last year. You got to hope that uh, that goes up. Um, going to the sixth round is Jesus Lazardo, who I also think is a little bit risky. Um, as someone who was beating the drum a lot last year, to the point that I am at 31 and Fast had him at 61. Or I had 33 and he had him at 61. I was just like, this is the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened. How could you ever do this fast? And then <laughs> Joe P. Sapia on the Fantasy Pros podcast awarded Fast the point for who has him ranked correctly. I, I've pretty much just given up on going back on that show. Sorry, Joe, but this is just a farce. Um, <laughs> but I, we actually had a, 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 a side bet from like May 5th moving forward. Jesus is already 370 ERA and a 117 whip. And I think he ended at a 368 and a 1.692 whip, which is a 1.1692. Okay, Essentially okay. me just yeah. barely like winning by like one at bat in one inning or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Jesus Lazardo is someone who kind of went up and down. Velocity was great, <clears throat> changeup was great. Slider got hit way too much in the zone. He had some uh, 
a horrible stretch in like August that ruined everything. And so I don't know quite if I want to believe that Luzardo, A, the health will be there or that the skills will be consistent throughout. But I'm kind of curious about your take here. Um, as you went at the end of the sixth round over guys like Max Fried, Freddie Peralta, Grayson Rodriguez uh, and Walker Bueller and Yuri Perez as well on the same team. What mm-hmm. had you going after Luzardo? Yeah, this is one that my like opening uh, opening statement where I said I would swap some players. I think I, I'm glad I got a pitcher at this turn, but I think with Snell, Luzardo isn't the best pairing because it comes with some of that volatility you're talking about sure. and the high whip. It, it's like this is a mini a mini Snell or or something. But um, if I were to do it over again, I kind of like. Uh, Man, I kind of like Freddie Peralta this year. Um, Peralta's a good I know, choice here. Yeah, I think I have the highest ranked of all the ones that are available. Is is Peralta? Yeah, yeah. Yes. He was one Steve and I talked about his second half. And, oh my wow, gosh, that's like the number one this second unreal, half, right? <laughs> unreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lizardo is still... I was in like early in his career and then I got burnt and I was out and then I was on the fence last year and I didn't have any shares. And it felt like looking up at the box scores like a 10 strikeout outing, like a yeah. 12 or 13 strikeout so outing. And when it, when it was good, it just looked like that ACE output. So I think that got me kind of salivating. Of course, the Marlins do a good job with their pitchers. So um, yeah, kind of looking under the hood, like the slider got better, but he threw it less often. Um, the swing and miss stuff is good, but it's mainly like the, the hitability, I guess, and the command. So I don't know. He's not someone I like targeted. I don't think I'll have shares everywhere, but I do think he's a pretty sure bet to get 200 Ks. Uh, I think after him, maybe uh, Freddie and Kodai Sanga might be the only ones no, that I would look at and say, these are 200 strikeout pitchers. Uh, Sanga, no. <sighs> not in on that second no, half. I'm, I'm, I think the cutter's too weird, man. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But even beyond, so do you think like Bobby Miller is going to get 200? Bobby or? Miller is going to be insane. Will he get 200 strikeouts? Uh, the thing is, finding like strikeouts are much easier to come by, I think, than it used to be. Um, I mean, again, as I mentioned, if you really want strikeouts, just go take Hunter Green much later. Um, you'll have a 30% strikeout rate and everything will be okay. Uh, it's uh, Or like, you know, Brian Wu is going to get a ton of strikeouts. So will Bryce Miller. So will... Um, I think my Bradley. So will uh, my concern is the ones that have the high percentage won't get the volume because either they're they got the kid gloves or they're too out of control like Hunter Green. I understand. There's always I mean, there's always a back and forth of like, okay, cool. Kodai Senga. But then like the whip is going to pull down a lot, too. Um, And not to mention, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of guys you can kind of swap in as you go kind of thing um, off the wire specifically too, um, that you'll be able to find, I think more strikeouts. And I think finding the, um, the strong ratios where it's like, Hey, this is a 25% to 30% striker rate, as opposed to like nailing down a 30% one. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to be super happy in your, especially in your head to head leagues with that. Yeah. Head to head for sure. And um, if you point. really want like an extra strikeout or two, then fine. Spend one of your, uh, if you really feel this way, which I generally don't go with, um, you can chase an elite middle reliever who might turn into a closer later on in your draft, and there you go. Um, but I, the way I see it, Bobby Miller is just his repertoire is just so good, and it's kind of one of the funniest things. Like you know, the entire weekend was like just draft Bobby Miller. Like, he's the greatest thing ever. I'm like yeah, he kind of is. 
Um, and just wish his fastball had a little bit more whiff ability, but the other stuff is just also so good, and the command of it is so good. And he throws like 100, and it's great. Anyway, back to Lizardo. Hi, what's up? Um, 20% strike rate last year, uh, 121 whip, and a 358 ERA. The Really, the biggest thing for me is the swing strike rate on the slider is so good, 23%. Phenomenal. 95th percentile. However, it's ICR, that is ideal contact rate for hitters. This is the thing that sliders are supposed to be so good at. 48% as I'm about to sneeze. I know how to mute my mic, guys. I I, <laughs> um, I was like, I don't want to check. I don't want to switch yeah, tabs. Um, I sneeze. It's great. You just look into the light. You got the photoreceptive cells. Anyway, I uh, 48% ICR, 6th percentile among all sliders thrown by starters. That is so bad. He would make so many mistakes with the pitch. It's bacon. Batting average and balls in play, unlike contact, was 2nd percentile. Oh. Babbitt was first percent of 494 when put into play. And it's not just, I mean, there is some bad luck there, but like, yeah, he made a lot of mistakes on that slider. So that's the biggest area of improvement, which he could do. Meanwhile, the, the changeup gets a fair number of strikes, 61% strike rate. Love that. Um, a decent uh, swing strike rate on it. ICR was really low at only 28%. Um, but the fastball is interesting to me. I love its command. He really does the seven well. That is the four seamers upstairs and inside to right-handers. He does that super, super well. I think he struggles a little bit against lefties because he doesn't have a thing that goes inside. He doesn't have a sinker to really jam well enough um, against lefties. And there are times that he just the, the ball gets hit too hard. He doesn't miss a lot of bats with it. It's a 10% swing strike rate on it, despite being a 96, 97 mile per hour pitch. So... Luzardo has the tools, and really, if that slider is much better against lefties, then that's just an all-fire and it's game over anyway. But he needs to not put it in the zone as much. Um, the other pushback I'm going to have is that 179 was the inning total last year, and that was a big thing entering the season, was that there was no expectation for Luzardo to get a ton of innings. It was 95 in 2021, it was 100 in 2022. I'm glad he just had this first season of 179. It's still unclear if that's something we can really believe moving forward as he threw the maximum amount of starts. So I hope he gets that. And I hope he also improves his uh, slider as well. Um, Marcelo Zuna's next. And you're like, okay, I need another hitter. And you went with Ozuna. Why'd you go with Ozuna? Uh, yeah, I was kind of assessing where I was at. So after after Acuna, Alonzo, Endeavors obviously don't offer speed. Then Yelich was kind of speed, but not, not as much pop. And then Ozuna... Like, obviously, what we saw production-wise, like, back of the baseball card was incredible. 40 homers, oh my 100 God. RBIs. I did not realize it was 40 homers, 100 RBI, 84 runs, and a 274 average. I hate that he is not someone yes, that I like as I a agree. human. Agreed. And I, you know, I mean, with my own choices, I was like, yeah, I just don't want to draft someone like that. Um, mm-hmm. Those that ignored that obviously benefited from it. His walk rate also went up. Man, that's ridiculous. I mean, is he going to repeat that next year? Well, and if you look at his, basically, if you take away his April, then that two, what was it? 274 average pretty much becomes like a 290. And I, I know, oh my gosh. yeah, like arbitrary endpoints, but that April was so bad. He hit 091 with a 424 oh OPS. And then the rest of the way, it was pretty much 300 every single month, if not better. And an OPS that was like always hovering at like 950. So Ozuna was a ton. He's not, he's old, but he's not ancient. And I think for all the, I mean, this is soft analysis and speculation and obviously the bad stuff is, is very bad, but like 
it also probably feels good on a, on a human side to be putting some of that in the rear view um, and working on your actual playing the sport that you play. Um, but in terms of the stuff on under the hood metrics, like it all looked great. Like his X average was 280. Uh, he had the 26 best IPA in the league. Um, this upcoming year is a contract year as well. So there's motivation there. And everything he did was also in 144 games. So uh, he worked his way up the batting order. So he's already slated to hit fifth next year. If he plays 150 games in a contract year, I might not be 40 homers, but I see no reason why it couldn't be 260, 35 homers and terrific counting stats with that Braves lineup. So yeah, DH isn't great, but overall, I think this late you're getting a guy who was pretty much like a top 15 hitter last year. So uh, I thought it was worth the shot. Oh man. I hate, I hate giving a seal of approval to Ozuna. <laughs> what about just the selection of stats? These stats? Yeah, I know. I mean, look, I'll, I'll recognize that at this point in the draft, there are a few players that are this beneficial to your offense. So there you go. Okay. You get that. Yeah. Um, I hear you. We're going to move to the eighth round where you took another picture. I'm going to tell you who that is, and we're going to talk about him and, of course, everybody else after this break. This episode is brought to you by Factor Meals. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while you're tacking all of your holiday to-dos. When you're too busy running around to plan lunch, Factor has you covered with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals that great, like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. This holiday season, get Factor and enjoy eating well with out the hassle, simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash WAF50 and use code WAF50 to get 50% off. That's code WAF50 at factormeals.com slash WAF50 to get 50% off. Or click the link in the show's description. So here's the thing. Was there a pitcher that you really wanted at this point as you already have Blake Sell and Lozardo then? Um, you went with Logan Gilbert. Was he someone that you were just hoping would fall to you? Or do you just look at the rest of the the landscape and go, I guess I got to take Logan Gilbert? Yeah, more of the latter a little bit. Um, I do like Eflin. I've always liked Gilbert. I had him as his rookie season. I feel like we've been like in and out with Gilbert where – you're kind of waiting for this stuff to catch up with the fact that he's kind of this workhorse, which is so strange for like a young arm. But I'm like, is he just a volume guy or is there actually like an elite slider in here? Like what's happening? Um, but I thought this season is when he flashed it the most. Uh, the walk rate was still amazing, better than ever at 4.6%. But there was a time where the slider took a step forward. He introduced the splitter. He had 30% strikeout rates in like April. And I was like, oh, is this it? And then it kind of wavered back and forth. But then eventually you see that he's getting up to around 190 innings and he's like a really good floor guy. But I, I think I've always liked Gilbert. I'm cheering for him to turn the corner into ace dumb with actual like swing and miss stuff. But more than anything, this was kind of a 
uh, rotation build decision because Snell and Lazardo were like volatility, uh, high whip. And then you got Logan Gilbert, who's going to eat up innings and, you know, hopefully keep a 5% walk rate and help the whip. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, with uh, with Gilbert, it's just, it's really funny to me. Uh, he's someone we entered the year being like, okay, cool. He's got a really good fastball. He just has no support. And hopefully he gets it this year. And he did. The slider got way better. The slider was like really cool. Um, especially his second half of the year. Like the slider was everything for him. I mean, I even saw a game where he had through 50% sliders. I was like, what is this world? How did we get here? It's it's strike rate went from 60% in 2022 and 55% in 2021 to over 71%. If you want to talk about all reliable, that's an 35% CSW after going 23% in 2022. The Gilbert slider, oh my gosh. But it was in the middle of the zone a lot. It wasn't really this huge, huge, like, I'm going to go down and away on you. But then again, like, still 17, 18% swing strike rate on it. 32% IC are way better than Luzardo's. And you can argue the locations on these are far worse. So that's fascinating to me. However, the four-seamer got so much worse. Like, you, you it finally shows up. The slider's there. And then the fastball just stinks. Uh, it's usage dropped 13 points or really 12 points. It used to be a 13% swing strike rate pitch. Now it's a 9% swing strike rate pitch. What is going on? Uh, it's so annoying. And you're right that he is a workhorse. Uh, Gilbert, 185 innings, 190 innings. And pretty much he's just started every game since he came up 24, 32, 32. Like it's just, Hey, what's up? I do this now. That's great. And I love the fact that it was a 108 whip and a 24% K rate and a 5% walk rate. And Logan Gilbert is going to be good and then has an opportunity to build on top of that four-seamer returns. That said, it might not. And I'm a little worried if it doesn't. Um, I understand taking him over Cole Reagans if you're like, I just don't believe those 80 innings. I get that completely. I believe in those 80 innings, but if you don't, I get it. I do. I just don't believe we'll see more than 145 of them. Why is that? Uh, just from a workload standpoint. I feel like when you have a shiny toy like that, it's the exception when you have a Logan Gilbert that goes 180, but most of the time it's Oh, yeah. No, I think well volume volume's going to be higher with Gilbert. Um, I mean, I see Cole Reagan's just starting every five days. Uh, and you know the, uh, the injury history that he has, as I use air quotes, um, is really one Tommy John that got messed up, so they did it again. Uh, so I'm not totally sold that Reagan's is destined for, um, you know, a lower just just getting on the IL and everything, but it's possible, absolutely. Um, I mean, Joe Wright, I understand not going for it because it's really just forcing her focus right now, but I think he's going to get better when it comes to the slider. Joe Musgrove, honestly, when he pitched, was just great. Like he improved everything that he did. Um, he just dropped away on his toe and then he had elbow things and like different injury mm-hmm. things. And yeah, if you want to talk about volume, Logan Gilbert is that guy. I would say Bobby Miller at the end of the ninth is like, I'm still upset at Samolski for getting that one. And I totally <laughs> thought he was already drafted and he wasn't. And I'm just like, how did that happen? Um, but, uh, but Logan Gilbert's fine. I, um, I guess I'm not as optimistic that it'll all come together because of just that declining fastball. And he's got, he's got work to do there. Um, but if he does get that going and he keeps that slider and he can uh, figure out also how to use it, I think, more aggressively as a two-strike pitch, um, things can be really cool uh, with uh, with Logan Gilbert. Keep in mind, just 28% usage in two strikes 
which is just 23rd or actually 19th percentile among all sliders. Um, so very much of an early kind of pitching backwards approach. Um, and uh, I wonder if, I don't know, I feel like he needs that one like extra little thing. Um, Isn't that the split that like the split finger gets uh, good with split faded as the year went on? Um, it was a little at first. I mean, this is what splitters do, right? They show up and then they go away. It's, it's like, a field oh, cool, pitch. right? You're the most yeah. volatile pitch in baseball. Great. Thank you so the, much. The fast, I mean, the, I think the fastball is a decent bet. I mean, without like watching all the, the like game film, if you will, just the fact that his extension is like unreal and he still throws it like 96 miles per hour. Like it's easy to see why it's been so good in the past. I, you know what I, I mean? Understand. Cause it just jumps you. on hitters. I, I'm with you. He just needs to find it again. And also, really needs to raise it up. Um, its high lock has gone down dramatically uh, to 51%. Well, not mm. dramatically. It never really was so high. Um, but just 45th percentile for a pitch like that should not be the case. And it's XM, uh, no, no, XM, not XM, YM lock, 70th percentile. That is like middle height. Uh, that's not good. You want it to be. I think here's, here's if you follow me here, Nick, like here's what excites me about Gilbert is like, would you say that it has all come together for Gilbert yet? Absolutely not. And but yet, I've been waiting, I've been waiting yet, like two years now. And yet we've seen a 320 ERA, 118 whip season and a 373 ERA and a 108 whip season. It's, that's a very good with, argument. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, like if it does go right, it could look right. really, so really good. The question good. to always meet for, for me is always like, if it does go right, can go for a lot of guys. Like we can, as, I mean, we just keep talking about Hunter Green, at least I keep bringing him up. Or like Dylan Cease, if it all goes right, you know, or if Christian mm-hmm. Javier finds it again, or if all goes right for Gavin Williams, right? Um, so it, there are a lot of, like every single pitcher, especially inside of fantasy land, that gets drafted in these, there's a way for it to all go right for the most part. Uh, I mean, for mm-hmm. some are just like, okay, you are a Toby and there's just no way you're going to find like three extra ticks of velocity or something like that. Fine. But for the, those in the top 50, there's really a, there, all of them should have a way to be in the top 10. Um, yeah. It's just about discerning like, okay, how big is that if or not? And the yeah. one thing that I just have a problem with Logan Gilbert is just, man, you had a 9.7% swing strike rate on that four-seamer last year. Uh, that's really concerning to me. Um, and uh, I, I feel I feel it's a weird thing. His ICR on his four-seamer, when contact is allowed, essentially, has always been above 40%. That, to me, 40%. Once I see that four, I'm like, ooh, I, I feel a little sick inside. So, I mean, that's like 50th percent among all four-seamers. But keep in mind, yeah. like, if we're talking this highly about Gilbert's four-seam race shouldn't be average, you know, and that yeah, should it yeah. still even be like above average. That could be even better. So, um, that's that's why I feel like it's a bigger if, uh, very hittable, yeah. Than I want it to be. That's all. Um, okay, but okay. it could happen. It could it it absolutely could happen. could happen with Gilbert. Um, we're gonna move on. What do you know? I spent a long time on a pitcher. This is all my fault. <laughs> uh, Young Kim, ninth round. Uh, Young Kim talks a lot about one one really fun quote. That you guys should see is talking about how uh, he wants to to be a really good home for uh, for Asian players because for him adjusting to the U.S. was a big change. And he had this really fun quote saying, "Like I finally got into my rhythm, and I feel like any other person coming in, he'd be able to help them really become their best selves as soon as possible." And he had a breakout season with 38 stolen bases this past year, 84 runs, and you're just going for stolen bases here at second base and. Did you really feel like you had to get something here now at second base or otherwise there's nothing? 
Yeah, uh, that was a big part of it. Actually, middle infield in general, I had not addressed. And Kim has second, short, and third, but second is uh, the likely outcome, and it ended up that way. Um, but yeah, the the thirty eight steals, um, love that with the intention to steal. I mean, there might be a little bit of average regression, uh, but this was nice speed again to to kind of pair with my last pick with Ozuna. Um, it's kind of like a two twenty twenty guys, right? Um, so the next second baseman though went fifty picks later. So definitely a cliff here if you're <laughs> taking notes of, uh, you know when when to jump in uh, on on the parachute pick. But yeah, this is a uh, not the most exciting. I think there's a little bit of room for uh, power, but more or less, I'm looking at like a, a 250 average, 15 homers. Hopefully, another like 30, 35 steals would be awesome, and some runs hitting at the top of that lineup with the Padres. So, yeah, not uh, the best like metrics under the hood for for Kim in terms of like batted ball data, but. I do think he's a good hitter and he obviously showed the intention to run a lot, which is 90% of getting steals. So there you go. Um, yeah, that There's was going to be said about, and by the way, this is around pick 110 now as we start the, the ninth round um, for those at home. Um, Bob Melvin was one of the managers that really promoted stolen bases. Jason Collette had a fantastic presentation on this at First Pitch Arizona. If you're on the fence about going to First Pitch Arizona in the future, I cannot tell you enough how it's the greatest time ever and you got to go van. I know. Gotta, I just told my wife her, her best friend lives in Tempe, Arizona. I was like, hey, how about next fall? What? I mean, why didn't you go? I, you know, third trimester stuff, Nick. I got to take my So you got to do it shot. now. Okay. I know. That's uh, true. <laughs> uh, no, I understand. Um, but anyway, so Jason Collette's saying, look, Bob Melvin really promoting stolen bases. Here comes Kim, 38 stolen bases, right? Melvin's gone now. Uh, and there is something to be said maybe – there is an em- a lower emphasis on stolen bases with the Padres next year. I don't know. I'll have to ask uh, Jason Collette about it, but uh, there's something to think about there. We're going to move on. Um, and I mean, actually, before we do, I should say, yes, shortstop, second base, I say it every single year. In 12-teamers, I think it's more so than it is in 15s that uh, the tier difference between uh, filling out your infielder early, infield early versus later is more important. And I say that because I think you're going to find a lot of guys that are solid enough around like the eight, you know, eight to 15, eight to 20 range. But the gaps between those and like the top five or so are just so much bigger and you can get away with it in 15s because obviously there's just a larger pile of it. More people can be associated where you are, but it will feel very much like, Oh man, like my lineup is going to be having a hole relative to others more so, I think, in, in 12-teamers. And that's my philosophy with it. That's why I, I pretty much every year I just go second baseman shorts up within the first five rounds. Um, I don't really think this year that there's like this nice... Like, remember last year, like in shortstop, there was a seventh round of like 20 million shortstops. They were all mm-hmm. bad, by the way. It was really funny. It was like Tim Anderson and, and Willie Adamas. Uh, there was you know, one and, that was kind of neutral, which is the one that we'll talk about in a oh, couple yeah, in rounds. Oh, yeah, the 11th round, right. right. Like O'Neill Cruz got hurt, right? Or yeah. Javi Baez, I mean, he was super, super later. Correa. Correa was, was like the 11th round of that. You know, it's just like, yeah. what the heck? It all failed. Um, mm-hmm. We don't really have that as much this year. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Um, but uh, like there's some young prospects like Holiday and, and Caminero who were taking maybe Volpe mm-hmm. or Volpe. Um, so I... Uh, 
Tovar. It, it, there is some interesting things. Lawler. Um, but I tenth round is David Bednar. You finally got into the closer game. Why Bednar? Uh, yeah, just I mean, obviously has the role locked down. Feels like a, a sure bet for thirty saves, um, if there is. And uh, yeah, got some really good swing and miss stuff. I don't see any reason why he should slow down. Um, and I wasn't inspired by the bats or arms that were around right here. So it felt like the perfect time to address closers, which is where I always struggle in industry leagues like TGFBI and Raz Slam and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I went two and three rounds here. Uh, but Bedner with the, with the first one, um, yeah, really like the swing and miss stuff and seems like he should get 30 saves. So that's where I was at with it. My mic was muted. It's fine. Uh, let me turn. Let me let Adam know about that. Hold on. Yep, that sounds about right. Uh, Rick Graham and uh, Jay Crumple will tell you all about it on, in the pen. But uh, there are, I think, a lot of more interesting options for saves as you got pushed down a ton for us. It, it, at this point, usually there are like, four guys that get pushed up so much in these early drafts because of the only ones that have secure saves. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now we've got like 10, yeah. 15 that we feel good about. So that means 10th round, 11th round, 12th round is like where you should generally be targeting saves because that's where you'll find the quality guys. Um, and uh, like you had Cano going in the 14th round. You have uh, Clay Holmes in the 15th. I'm like, this is great. Uh, so you also have Dancy Swanson as we hinted at before. Um, in the 11th round, uh, tell me about Dancy Swanson. Yeah, last chance saloon at shortstop here, Nick. <laughs> so uh, address the middle infield with with Kim and Swanson here. So this is pick 121, which has felt about right for Swanson for like three years in a row. Sure. Um, I wasn't blown away by the options around here, but I will say when I saw you grab Shane Boz, I was like, oh man, I wish I could swap either Bedner or Swanson for Boz just because I had forgotten. You're about a big him. Boz fan. Why are you a big Boz y- fan? Yes. Uh, I just remember there was a time where I was felt like I was splitting hairs between Shane Boz and Shane McClanahan. And then I feel like we've been robbed of seeing Boz. So now that he is uh, back, I, I'm just, I feel like he might have stuff uh, that few pitchers left at this point in the draft have. Um, although there are some interesting names with Wu and Rodon and even Hunter Green is like a dart, but um, yeah, I I would love to have some shares of Boz this this year, and he was not on my list when I was looking through guys at this time. But you know what's that's not who we're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean about Boz, I actually um, I was mentioning how much I liked him in first pitch Arizona. I got a ton ton of pushback um, from people in the industry about me being t- being too risky. We haven't seen enough of it, um, and yet I don't care. <laughs> yeah i think boz's skills are just too good um and uh the you know the race sure might take a moment to get in to the groove of it but like you will not want boz out of your lineup the entire year and yeah uh, there's something to be said about that where like gavin williams and and christian javier went later on and rode on and cease and green and it's just like we're getting to the point of like 11th round boz is hmm um, I'm happy that you liked him, but Anthony Swanson, tell me more about him. Uh, yeah, this one is kind of growing on me. Um, 
we know the narrative that like guys press their first year, um, but that can take in, in new environments, I should say, with him going to Wrigley, uh, which big market, big team, big culture, all that stuff. And he, it does look like he was doing things different. It just was the inverse. Most people press, they're too aggressive. There's more swing and miss. Uh, his was the reverse, which is what we saw. I think it was with Marcus Simeon, where like he got more patient at the plate mm. and like his swing rate was down and his first pitch swing rate was down. All And I think that maybe he just needs to be a little bit more aggressive. But even without that, uh, I mean, the average came down and he just hit 244, but 22 homers, nine steals, 80, 80. Um, and he missed 15 games. Um, what I would note the most about Dansby is I think the steals can come up quite a bit from nine. Uh, we're like a year removed from him getting 18 steals. And with the environment, um, you would really think he would be one of the guys that could go from 10 to 20 steals. And last year he had that heel contusion in the middle of the season and the two months around that he had zero steals. So I oh, think man. that heel contusion might've just been basically, all right, I'm not going to run on the base pads. I'm going to sure. stay healthy. And with Craig Council in there in Chicago, I think he's going to want his team running. And I think Dansby could be 250 average, 25 homers, 15 steals, 85-85. I mean, hitting at the top of the lineup every day. Um, it just seems like a good fallback option at short. And Swanson seems like enough of a gamer that I would bet on him making a nice little bounce back in, in year two in Chicago. There you go. You heard it first. Um, we're going to move on to the 12th round here. Paul Seawald is your option. Hey, you need another closer. And here's one that seems like he's locked in for another job. Yep. And kind of same thing as Bedner. I mean, Seawald has, uh, you know, a, a little bit of that volatility that's like now following my entire staff. Um, but the swing and miss stuff is great. The saves were there all year. Uh, the D-backs know they got their guy. They leaned on him all postseason, even though he got he was a little wobbly, but um, still grabbed a bunch one, of saves. Fair. Don't 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 hold that against the old. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, really, really good uh, swing and miss stuff. And like you said, to me, the biggest thing is if I can catch a couple closers near the end of the grouping that has a lockdown role, I think I'll be pretty happy to not have to worry about it the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, so I kind of just doubled down. Yeah, Paul Seawald should be fantastic this year. Um, I know I haven't given away seals of approvals. Uh, Seawald probably deserves one. I mean, really, I, I just at this spot being like, get yourself a closer at this spot, and you'll be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Seawald gets one there because he's just yeah, he's going to be their closer throughout the entire year. It's going to be great. Um, I also really like your thirteenth round pick, who is Bailey Ober, and uh, I want you to tell me why you like Bailey Ober here. Yeah, this was the uh, the fourth on the whole four for floor uh, yep. approach, and I like Ober. Honestly, I like what like Wes Johnson's done with this entire like Twins pitching. I, I, like Paddock, it looked good, and then of course Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Ober. Like it just seems like all Twins pitchers, Joe like Ryan. yeah, rising tides raise all ships type of thing, and like Ober has been really great from a control standpoint for years and quietly just like eats up a strikeout per inning. Like he does feel like a, a Logan Gilbert, even with the, the size just a, a few rounds later. Um, but yeah, we finally saw him hit 165 innings. Uh, he's a really big help with the ratios, solid strikeouts. Um, I'd love to see the secondaries improve beyond the, the fastball, but um, yeah, for the, 45th 
starting pitcher off the board, I feel like it's a really good way to round out the rotation and a little bit of a recovery from going Snell Luzardo with the volatility at the top to going Gilbert Ober as like the, the final two for my like four starters um, yeah, we, um, at the top of the rotation. Introduced a new term this year called the Bailey Special, which is essentially like six innings of seven strikeouts and like two and runs and like a 117 whip. Like that's the Bailey Special. Um, and Bailey Oberizzi does the four seamers upstairs really well. It's not the the greatest, um, you know, I, I think there are better four seamers technically by like stuff. However, his locations of it are just so consistent upstairs that he had a 16% swing strike rate on it. And that's just awesome. Uh, 92nd percentile and ICR rate as well. So he's getting a ton of, ton of swing strikes rates. So sorry, ton of whiffs on it. 68% strike rate is great. It's such a good pitch. And the changeup is the one that's really, really it's the changeup slider, I should say. The changeup is the one that's most important. It is a high strike pitch, 70% strike rate. And he needs that to be that 29% ICR again. Uh, underneath it, right? It really breaks down the blueprint of like four seamers up and changeups down. It makes it really hard for batters to figure out what's going on. Um, it's really awesome. The biggest area of improvement, though, is a breaking ball. Uh, slider, 42% ICR is not good. Only a 15% swing strike rate. Sub-60% strike rate itself, only 39% CSW. Once Bailey Ober figures out some breaking ball that is actually decent and consistent, oh, man. Ober, I think, is has such potential here. He's a big dude. He's 6'8". Um, and it took him a while to kind of go from like throwing 84 <laughs> to actually throwing hard enough uh, to succeed um, at just 91, by the way. But still, even that um, is still really good uh, for him. And I, I think that Bailey Ober is just primed for a breakout season. Um, he's one of my sleepers this year. I think 13th round is actually a little aggressive based on the ADP that you'll probably see. Um, otherwise, I would be giving it a seal of approval. I just feel like he's going to be going in the 15th, 16th more often. Mm-hmm. But I I would love Bailey Ober, um, and I think a lot of you guys should go and get him. He uh, he also was demoted for a moment in August. I was really upset about it, and it was like the end of August, and he came back in the middle of September and did great down the stretch. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, I like this pick. Uh, good stuff. I don't like for your next who, one though. For who was on the board, Nick? I, I know else? you like Bassett. I know you like Bassett. Who else would you put above? Well, that's Ober? the thing is like I'm not necessarily saying that you. Uh, this is my favorite one. I'm kind of imagining that uh, that it, this is not how draft boards are going to go in the spring. So maybe it was like a circumstantial seal of approval, just not yeah, like yeah, a, this guy, yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. at this yes, number. Yes. Okay, no, that sounds good. The guy I would go for. Oh no, so you don't like Let me let me just take one more quick look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circumstantial seal of approval. <laughs> Just inventing new terms like the baby. Now, not the next guy, though. Um, and I'm going to tell you who that is after this break. So you got the fourth floor with Bailey Ober, but you had, went for another pitcher after this, and that's Sawyer Gibson Long. And at the time of this mock draft, I put out my top 200. I put Sawyer Gibson Long around like 55 or something like that. I have since rescinded that, saying, I don't think that the Tigers are going to start Gibson Long out of the gate. And do you think that he's going to be their number five in April? Um, I do. I, I believe he's fourth on their depth chart right now. What am I, I missing? Fifth. I'm going to have Reese Olsen above him. 
Okay, okay. Give me a moment here. Page loading. So the ones that, that it would be Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubel, uh, not in that order, Reese Olsen. Uh, Roster okay. Resource says Casey Mize is fifth. That is not the case. I see. Okay. E. Mize. Uh, I also imagine that they'll sign at least one depth guy um, because this is that's really the entire rotation right now. Um, there are others to even consider. Maybe Spencer Turnbull's in there. Maybe um, you have Wilmer Flores. You have Jackson Job, who looks so good, too. And I think the Tigers have all these options when you have a guy that's only tossed 20 uh, innings in the majors that you might see a little bit of a delay before Soria Gibson Long gets um, that that chance again inside the rotation. I was also Ty Madden, I should mention, too, mm. um, among the other options. So well, it's possible he's yeah. the number five. Um, I think my assumption that he will be was too aggressive um, is the only only pushback I have. But tell me your thoughts about Gibson Long. Well, I mean, for starters, he threw 120 innings last year. So I would hope they view him as somebody that could, you know, work up to like 140, 150 uh, over the season. And yeah, in the 120 innings he threw across high minors in the majors, he had 152 strikeouts. So kind of eye popping numbers. Uh, He has that weird slider first thing with like uh kind of the waskery noah with slider and change up and then it's like oh there's the fastball um but yeah i think the slider is great like on the the low lock a 97th percentile 17 percent swinging strike rate look at Um, you quoting low lock and 97th percentile oh look at that the pl page and then we got the 98th percentile on the change up swinging strike rate so oh yeah we are if he's throwing those two pitches and they both have 97th and 98th percentile things that is all the the more reason to fade your fastball a little bit so uh only the four starts, but yeah, his his pitchless page is very, very intriguing. Second best XERA of all pitchers. Fourth best K percentage of all pitchers. Yes. Fifth best swing strike rate. Now, like, what mind, do we want? Uh, if you'll see the very want? top of the page, there is an alert. I don't know if you see it. It's next to 2023 season stats. Not, not a qualified volume yeah. or something. Needs more playing time to qualify. This player is not inside the top 200. <sighs> Starting pitchers ranked by batter's face. Ranks reflect where he would place if he qualified. So just keep that in mind. It's just over four starts uh, for Sorry Gibson Long. It also is one game of 11 strikeouts against the Angels that is very uh, notorious at this point. He also had eight walks in three straight games combined. Um, so 15 innings of eight walks and uh, the season. And I'm with you that I like the slider as trying to be that strike pitch just a 57% strike rate in that time to keep in mind the changeup was down a ton 44% o swing on it but again under 60% strike rate because it was so low which means he does need to rely on that sinker and that four seamer a lot the good news he's really good at spotting these uh four seamer either was glove side or arm side a ton and sinker was down as it should be a ton as well and i kind of like his command, I, I believe it a bit. I believe in his approach. I think Gibson Long is a very solid starter. My only concern right now is that he's not starting out of the gate. We don't really know what's going to happen the next couple months. And going for number fives to, uh, yeah, just mm-hmm. number fives on a yeah. team that might sign somebody is kind of hard, especially when they're really young and not to def- not like, no, they're a guy that we really expect to give us depth or whatever it is. So that's the only pushback I have on Gibson Long right now. But he's actually say, not the youngest, uh, uh, like because he's 26, right? So I think some of the guys in that. 
I mean it more of an experience rather. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I really hope they do. And if they did, 14th round isn't so aggressive to me. Uh, I I might take a chance on Chris Sale instead. Actually, he went early in the round. I should not say that um, at all. Uh, maybe Tristan McKenzie I would because he'd be starting right out of the gate for the Guardians. But then again, we don't really know what we'll see from him. Uh, so Brian Bayo, I think I would go for instead personally. Okay. Um, what about Hunter Bayo? Brown? Hunter Brown is, oh, uh, no. I, if I knew that Gibson Long was in number five, then yeah. I would be going Gibson Long over Hunter Brown. I believe in Gibson Long's ability more. Uh, it's also a question of co- team context, how you want to go with, say, like Merrill Kelly or so. I'm finding myself f- in favor and then not in favor of Mer- Merrill Kelly. I go back and forth. Um, but I don't hate it with Gibson Long. I actually really like chasing, say, uh, Nestor Cortez, believe it or not, maybe a little bit more at this moment, um, okay. which I think is, I think he's getting completely overlooked. And look, and also Shoto Imanaga. All the guys that I took. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got Imanaga in the 18th round. That is like the greatest seal of approval. I'm sorry. That is the best <laughs> I pick know. that I made was Shoto Imanaga in the 18th round. Wow! Can I you give me? Can you give me the that. summary? Because I know nothing about Shoto Imanaga. Uh, Shoto Imanaga. This is what I implore all of you to do. Again, watch the guy. Uh, you can watch the the finals of the WBC on YouTube. Um, I did it also on playback um, earlier this week. I'm doing those live ones, and uh, that is in November. Um, but yeah, watch Shoto, and you'll realize that he's a command guy through and through. With uh, just essentially with a four seamer that misses bats above them, so he can go upstairs with them. He has a really nice splitter. He has a nice curveball. He has a cutter, um, a slider that maybe needs a little bit more polish. But uh, he's going to be a low walk guy, a good whip guy with potentially like a 25% K rate. Like good ratios with like a 25% K rate who can go like six innings a game. Like, wait, hold on a second. That's amazing. That's what we want. Uh, And uh, I think wherever he lands, he's going to be very, very productive. Um, Number one stuff plus the WBC, if you can believe it or not. And I consider him a command guy. So, Get him on the Cardinals. Yeah, that sounds great. No, nah, I'm good. Don't do that. Uh, but uh, but anyway, pass Gibson Long. Let's go to your 15th round pick. Wilson Contreras, do you regret taking catcher? Because I know a lot of guys have talked to here and say, like, I should just weigh in catcher and just forget about it. Yeah, well, I think uh, Schwabzee felt that the most because he, like, dipped his toe in in the eighth round and then everyone else, like, held out. And he was like, wait. <laughs> I no. could have waited five rounds. Like it was, uh, yeah, we were all in on the the pact of fading catchers, but I was kind of in between there. I personally would be more than happy with Wilson Contreras, like at this, like, cause this is 169th overall on the pick. And I feel like Contreras, he had like a deceptively productive season last year. I think anyone who drafted him was very much annoyed with like the first half of the season or the entire season for the Cardinals. But mm-hmm. he ended up with a 264 average, 20 homers, six deals, and then 122 runs and RBIs combined, which is a little bit low. Um, but in the second half, he really turned it on. And honestly, the first half, all of his underlying stuff looked great. And we were like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it eventually did. The second half, he hit 309 with a 959 OPS. Um, and his expected stats look like there's a lot of room for growth this year. Um, the Cardinals DH'd him 30 games, kind of infamously. But still, that shows that there's going to be some volume there, which is always good for catcher. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he should hit fifth in a lineup that has to be better than it was this past year. Um, so, yeah, I think Contreras for the catcher position – should be really nice value that 
you know, probably three or four years ago, you would have had to pay a top 115 pick for this kind of production and to get it at 170 is I'm, I'm fine with. Cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's so much of a gap between that and the bottom guys like Sean Murphy and Francisco Alvarez went in the last round, Cal Rowley in the 20th. And there was another arm, uh, another, not probably arm, average, right? Yeah, another, uh, another guy, Chad Young was talking about, um, I'll just take the other one. And the other one, what didn't go, I can't remember who that was, but I, you know, it's just about what else you could have gotten instead. And you kind of look at your 23rd round, your 22nd, 21st, and seeing like, was there someone that I'd rather swap with? I don't know. It's something to think about as you uh, craft your teams here. 16th round is Chaz McCormick. And Chaz is a fun one, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we like kept waiting for this to slow down, and it never did. Um, but I was saying all season that to, to Steve on Wins Above Fantasy that I think McCormick is a great like glue piece for an outfield. Um, and yeah, to get in the 16th round, this is like basically a 2020 guy, uh, in just 115 games this year, 22 homers, 19 steals. Um, another guy like Yelich, whose speed took off with this new, uh, base running environment. Uh, the barrel rate's pretty impressive, like around 11%. If you look at like his spray charts, his home runs were no doubters, like a lot of them were. So he kind of feels like, uh, Christian Yelich light. And you're getting that 10, 11 rounds later. Um, obviously, the Astros great lineup context. So, yeah, just peeking at like outfielders around him. I do like Newt Barr, um, who went before. And then like Lourdes Gurriel, Jaron Duran, TJ Friedel. Yeah, I like McCormick. I think that it, it might not be as good as what we just saw with the 273 average and everything. But I think this could easily be like a... Uh, 2015 type of guy who, who hits 260 with good counting stats for the Astros. So I like McCormick here. Um, you didn't mention Nelson Velasquez, which isn't fair. Um, but I, you <laughs> know, uh, you guys still have approval for Chaz McCormick. I think he's a really, as it, as you mentioned, a really good glue for your outfield. Um, that's a great nice. pick. And he probably won't drop in the entire year. He could even move up in that Astros lineup. Um, Emmett Sheehan is 17th round. Tell me about Emmett Sheehan. What has he going after him? Oh, I'm excited Why? on this one. Uh, for one, he's a Dodger pitcher, which sure. is historically a good thing. It is. Uh, the swing strike rate is great. Um, very solid fastball uh, with the extension he gets. The velo is great. Um, and he locates it high, which is a, a really good thing as well, as the, you mentioned with the Blake Snell bl- blueprint. Um, great slider, tons of whiffs. And when it does get hit, it's got a really high ground ball rate. Uh, he also has a great changeup. So here we are with a Dodger pitcher, great swing and miss stuff with a great slider with a great changeup. Like all of these things at pick 193, it just seems like a very good bet. Um, and the Dodgers don't have pitching. So I feel like he should get a, a fair chance at 30 starts next year. And, yeah, I think in almost any of my drafts, I'd love to end up with Sheehan as as a dart throw for high upside. So I go back and forth on Sheehan. Um, on one hand, um, I generally like high four-seamers, but only if the four-seamer shape speaks to it. And uh, it doesn't have a bad amount of induced vertical break, but it doesn't have a good amount. It's pretty average, um, around 14, 15. And you want to see kind of 16, 17 um, when you start to get excited on it. Um, his VAA, um, is, uh, is good. 
Um, it, it is kind of flat on it, which does help it upstairs. But it was only about 11% swing strike rate, despite the high locations that he did have. Um, and he gets a lot of arm side break, too. Um, it's more of just kind of that as opposed to missing above the bat. It's about missing more towards the barrel, which is good against right-handers, not as much against left-handers. So it, the way I see it with Sheehan, he's actually, I think his four-seamer can be really good pitch to jam batters as opposed to trying to um, beat them above the barrel. Now, there is intrigue in the slider. The slider, last two starts, all of a sudden woke up. Um, I don't think he's very... Uh, I don't think he's very good at locating it quite yet. I also don't like its movement. It's not a very aggressive slider. He did change it, I believe, later on in the year, though. When he had those higher whiffs, I think it became more of an aggressive sweeper than kind of like a cutter. Um, and if you look on our uh, PLV apps, which are going to be behind the PL Pro paywall in February, but it is the offseason now, so we have it available for free for everybody. Just go to PLV Tools on our um, homepage. Just underneath Tools, you'll see PLV Pitches app. Um, and you'll see that she and Sliders, they're all clumped in one area. And then all of a sudden, there's this little grouping on the far left. That's like, oh, those are the ones that clearly get whips. So you're going to see like a 4.9 PLV because we're like, yeah, that's not really that great of a slider. But then the other ones were so much better. Um, those are the ones that you see that nine strikeout game, that 10 strikeout game. Yeah, that's the slider that I believe can be a legitimate pitch for uh, um, for Sheen. It's actually kind of funny. As I say that, I even look at, yeah, of course, I'm going to look at the PLV of those. And it's like a four or five PLV. I'm like, wait, what? That should be. No, that's the good one. What's going on? I got to talk to Kyle about that. Um, but the locations of those were much better. Um, and he had seven whiffs and then eight whiffs on his last two games of the year. On those alone, that's why he had 19 strikeouts. So Emmett Sheehan, to me, has an interesting situation where changeup that is going down, and that's pretty, has been effective for him. A fastball that uh, was able to, you know, as you mentioned, get upstairs and kind of separate itself from the other pitches. So it it, it does kind of work. Um, I don't know if he really has the stuff to be that dope. <laughs> I hope he does. Um, he's kind of one of those guys that like slings it out of his hand. And that's why he mm-hmm. has that lower VAA. Um, to me, it doesn't... Uh, I, I don't believe it like I do other young starters. But maybe I'm wrong. Here. Maybe it's just one of those that like, yeah, he can always locate in those spaces and it's good enough. And voila, Nick, love it. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just going to love it. You're right about the Dodgers needing starters right now. Um, and uh, he might get those opportunities. Pepio to me is going to be ahead of Emmett Sheehan. Yeah. So then you have Miller, and then you have Pepio, and then you have what? <laughs> There's like nothing right, right now. Right. Gonsolin's hurt. I uh, May is hurt. Kershaw's hurt. Urias is a bad human. I mean, there's that's it. Lance is right. not returning. So you have to think they get like Shoto. You have to think they get like Yamamoto. Yeah. They're going to get like Aaron Nola or Giolito or something. I am going to keep banging the drum that it, right now it is November 17th and every single podcast is going to say like Luis Severino is not a Dodger yet and he will be at one of these. Yeah. Um, it just makes so much sense in my head. So I hope Sheen gets an opportunity and proves me wrong and showcases like that better slider that I was talking about. But um, I don't know. It's a fun 17th round pick. You don't really know. I would probably well, isn't, go after isn't Snell? again. Hold on. Isn't Blake Snell a free agent? Well? Yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> he is. I don't know if that's the right fit for them, though. 
But, we uh, probably talked. We talked about him too much, probably yeah, gosh, as well. So you know, much. talked about him so much. I uh, but yeah, and then like Giolito, probably not the one that they're going to go with. Um, I would E-Rod. not be surprised. I mean, Nola. I think it's going to be some big starters yeah. going to go there. They have to. Um, but uh, we'll see. Um, Nuovi Marte, Marte. Tell me about him. On um, the Reds, of course, very young. Uh, what's he going to look like in 2014? 2024, yeah. not 2014. Jeez. <laughs> big he was a child but a child in 2014 <laughs> big big po- prospect pedigree uh in seattle and then you know moving over to cincinnati he actually his tools are better than his production has been like i think the power is, is somewhere in there but we haven't really seen it yet and then his, he's actually been running a little bit more in like the high minors and in 35 games in the majors last year, he looked really, really good for the Reds. Hit 316 with an 822 OPS. He had a handful of steals. He kind of projected out like, or, uh, you know, if you extrapolated, he probably would have been like a 1520 type of guy, but hitting 316 with the batting average. But I think the, the power people are expecting to take a step forward. Um, and that's the exciting part. He had the 26th best hard contact in the league. Again, this is probably volume assuming because uh, he only played 35 games, uh, but also 86th percentile on ideal plate approach. So really just all around kind of good performance in terms of plate discipline and contact. Uh, we just need the power to take a step forward and we could have uh, like a, I think prime is probably like a 25-20 looking guy with like a 290, 300 average in this Reds offense that is looking like a lot of fun. So uh, I think it's a really fun, exciting dart throw at 216 for like a, a utility slot. I know this was one of the ones that had, uh, of my kind of oatmeal team, this was the one that had some pop in the uh, Discord channel where a lot of people were like, no, I want a no LV. So it's always fun to have an exciting one on, on the team. Yeah, so. definitely. Uh, yeah, this is cool with me. I mean, I'm looking at the other hitters. I'm like, why do you want to go for any of that milk toast? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, seal of approval for me. I feel like you should be taking these kind of things. This is cool. Nice. That's all I got for you. Um, Steamer has him at 14 home runs, 12 stolen bases, but I feel like that's just a big question mark. We don't really know. Um, yeah, fun stuff there. Now, 19th round, though, is uh, Nick Pavetta. And, oh, boy, I have a long history of Nick Pavetta. Um how how did you feel taking Pavetta here in the 19th round? Well, speaking of history, Nick, if you'll allow me to to look back at the history of these talks you and I have had after course, mock please. drafts, I'd like to uh, take the one victory lap I can on a couple of these and and make a prediction oh, that I Nick would Pavetta love you to do that. that Nick Pavetta is the next one. Two years ago, yeah. there was Nestor Cortez around this time of the draft okay. last year. There was Justin Steele oh, at man. this point in the draft. Yeah, but, but here's my question, though. Uh huh. When take the victory level you want. What was the arguments? What was I mean? Uh, the one for Nestor Cortez, I understand. What was the argument I didn't, for being in on Justin Steele? I love the slider. I love that he had like six, uh, nine strikeout games, yeah. and that when it was clicked in, it looked right. really good. Uh, that I think that's as much as I remember about okay, it. Okay, so the slider was worse. And okay. this, the fastball was better um, and not at all what I expected. So, <laughs> And you're still kind of out this year, right? Oh, I'm totally out this year, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, this is not a, a two-season prediction. But what this you're is... trying to get at here is that, Nick, 
two straight years of getting this right. And look, here's Nick Pavetta with his sixth highest uh, swing, uh, strikeout rate among all starters at 31% and 112. Yes. How the heck is this not the, the, the apple of everybody's eye? Yes. If you remove everything you knew about the name Nick Pavetta, we'd be very excited about his second half where he had 102 strikeouts over 73 and two thirds innings, uh, a 0.96 whip, just a 6.6% walk rate. Third in in stuff plus, uh, if you if you do the second half splits there, he was also a guy not unlike Mr. Justin Steele, who put together some dazzling starts. Ten strikeouts versus the Orioles, ten versus the Yankees, which is easy. Ten versus yeah. the Mariners, thirteen versus the Athletics, which is easy. But he's only thirty years old. Um, his velo was up across the board last year. He added a sweeper that had great whiffs. Well, okay, so so I got pushed back on the velocity because it was time and relief, and you generally do see uh, increased velocity in relief. And to help you out, guys, you're like, well, what about when he wasn't a reliever? Uh, was his velocity maintained? And I thought um, it was. Eh, I thought it was month over month. Uh, uh, up, yeah, he maintained it for the most part. I mean, he had games of 97 and stuff, like when he got a save, like 96, 97. And then it came down to like 94, 95 when he was starting, just as a heads up. Okay. But versus, because um, what? where did he sit in 2022, I think is more what I was saying. Uh, like year over year, was it up? Very, very good point there. Uh, it was 93, 94. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. So it did. It, it improved, yeah, last year in general, which which is nice. But heard that, yeah, the relief stuff is probably skewing it. But he does get a good extension on it. Um, and I guess from hearing, like your philosophy, Nick, is if it doesn't work, you want to know fast, right? And, and so you can drop and move on in April. And I feel like who better than Pavetta in the nineteenth <laughs> round to Pavetta? see? is the one that goes up and down all the time. This is, this is his whole thing. But He's I'm not like going to have any heartburn. Like month. And he, but are he, we going to have heartburn dropping him if he gets rocked in his first two starts? No, it's Pavetta. You, well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's Pavetta, so I hold on to him. I, uh, I think I would hold on to Sheehan. You're talking about the second half performance of Pavetta, but he didn't start all these games. Uh, he only he, he started on the 31st, then he didn't after, and then he started on the 9th and the 15th, and then he didn't in, later in August, and then he returned the rotation. I mean, I'm I'm checking right now to see how many of those were like opened for, and some were, but I mean, he had point two game innings, two innings, three innings, four point one, four innings. Among all of this, it was volatility. You didn't know what you're gonna get. He was starting until the 16th, and then he went to the pen, and then all of a sudden it was opened for on the seventh, uh, seven. Uh, sorry, not the seventh. The seventh, yeah, the seventh of July. Like two months, you had to wait, and then he got him back. It was uh that that's just the life of Pavetta. Sorry. He started he started his last five games and he looked yes, he really did. good. Well I mean yeah. pretty good. It was four point two innings the first time of it. And then yeah. So yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. But so you're telling me that Pavetta fits the mold for a hipster? Yes. Heading missing oh, pitcher stifling the entire roster. To me, hipsters have a you know there's a type for the hipster and the uh -huh. type is like Reed Detmers, uh, Chris oh, Paddock no. who's going to be coming no. back from injury. Charlie Brandon Morton Fott. is the is the perfect one. Okay, you don't know like if you're if you're struggling or not by holding them. Reed Detmers we got rid of, right? 
We moved on past that one. Charlie Morton, you had the entire year. Barrios could be a hipster at times, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like Pavetta has such a bad brand to his name that like no one's going to work. Tell me the last year that Pavetta him. had an ERA under four. Which is why I'm dropping him in April. Then why are you drafting him? Because if it looks like it looked like in August, then I'm, I'm in. With you. Um, no, 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 I'm not. Look, I, I'm not going to push back on a 19th round pick. I think actually that's pretty cool. It's exactly the kind of thing you should go for. Where like this guy had a 31% strikeout rate last year and a 112 whip finally after not having a whip under 130, right? For yeah. ages. Um, that's cool. Can his slider command be good enough is really everything to me. 19% swing strike rate last year. Um, the, the strike rate went down. Um, however, I saw more games than ever where Pavetta was locating it down in glove side, 64% glove location last year. And we saw previous years of like 50% from that. So if that is happening consistently, that's a huge deal for Pavetta. I don't know if uh, I can really believe that he's going to. The the cutter, which I'm kind of grouping in with that slider, 68% glove side location, which is good. And then about a 70% low lock, which is rare for a cutter. But if you really think of that more of that slider, then it makes sense. So it can work. Like I could, I see how this does work. He raises four seamer more and more. 58% uh, high location, which is 80th percentile. That's really good. Swing strike rate went up to 12.5%. That's the highest I've seen since 2018 on it. I get it. And I, I'm not against this pick in the 19th round because he probably will be starting for out of the gate for the Red Sox. If you're going to tell me though, Nick, if it's not looking good, I'm going to drop him. Then okay. But you got to listen to that. <sighs> and I'll be honest with you. I think that Pavetta is going to have highs and lows all year. Like that's just what's going to happen with him. Yeah, he's not. You know, if he's looking bad in April, you could easily be convinced, like by one step, like oh well, never mind. No, we're back on it in May or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah I mean, thirty-one percent strikeout holes, right? It's hard to turn that down. To, to poke holes in my own argument, I was I was saying this type of thing quite a bit last year for Andrew Heaney as oh, like gosh. oh Heaney's even if it gir- even if it looks hipster. worse. You know yeah. what I mean? Perfect example of a hipster. Hunter Green is going to be a hipster this year. Yeah. The, the guy of this podcast who's not on your team, Hunter Green. But I would feel so bad dropping Hunter Green. Right. Pavetta, that's why he's I'm, a hipster. I'm moving, but Pavetta, I don't think. That, that's just where each oh, person I see, has I see to decide where your hipster is line. higher yes. with Green than is Pavetta. Very, yes. very good point. Um, Mitch Keller was a hipster last year. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, Tyra Estrada, though, is next. Not a hipster. If anything, he is like he's a holly batter. He's a he's a boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, tell me about Tyro Estrada. Yeah, this was a bench bat. I saw some other managers. I didn't know how we were like structuring our benches, and like everyone else had a bench bat, and I was like, okay, I'll I'll do this too. Oh, okay, you just gotta Um, follow along with everybody else, huh? Yeah, I'm a conformist, but Estrada, (laughs) I do I do like him. Um, He only played 120 games last year, even though. Like he just feels like that giant that is actually going to be Mr. Reliable. Like they love his defense, like minus. So he had a wrist sprain and a hand fracture on the left wrist sprain, left hand fracture, two separate instances, um, which I would imagine is tough to play through. And he missed some time from that. And he still had a season where he hit 271, had 14 homers and 23 steals. So it kind of makes me wonder you know, if, obviously those types of injuries can sap power. If he played 150, 155 games, 
he's still kind of in his prime, Tyro Estrada. Is he starting to turn a corner where he could be a 20 homer guy, steal 25 bags, if not more, and he hits every day second in the lineup? Seems like he's kind of the new Brandon Crawford or something. Um, so I just, you know, it's Tyra Estrada. How excited are we going to get? But I think if you're looking for like a mid, mid, middle infield guy, that this is actually a really good 20th round uh, pick where I think I would probably have some shares for like production. Like Steve and I talked a lot about those deep leagues for, uh, you know, best ball leagues or like DC 50s, things like that, where you need a deep bench and you need volume. Like, uh, uh, gosh, who's like Crawford, guys like that that just go out and play. Like Estrada is a great example of that. And I I think I kind of have talked myself into liking him as a deep option. There you go. Uh, Not for me, but I'm glad that you have. (laughs) No, I'm just messing around. Um, But I I think uh, the way I, I go through my teams is I actually don't favor bench bats in the beginning. I think it's more valuable to find to spend your bench positions on pitchers early in the season, because I think that that's more apparent for success. And like, there's more things to chase in pitching land in April. Um, You want your hands as many pots to see like what, who has really developed or so while it's harder to tell for hitters and we need more time for them. So then that normally switches around May and in June, especially for head to head leagues where you actually want to spend your, uh, bench spots on hitters to ensure that you have Monday and Thursday filled up for your lineups. That is how you have most success in head-to-head leagues. Those those um, eight plate appearances is more valuable than one start um, in general. So Alex Chase, Alexander Chase, showed me the light with that one. Um, so I generally don't go through for Tyro Estrada. I think Estrada is going to be on your waiver wire the entire year. Um, and also if you see 23 stolen bases, the 32nd most, that's one a week. Are you like, okay with that? And I'm like, I don't know if I am. Um, but then again, that was only 120 games. So what do I know? I'm being stupid. Okay. We have three guys left, Van. We're getting through it. Let's just mention mm-hmm. Hunter Green and Blake Sell one more time. Um, Chase <sighs> Silseth has arrived. Why Chase? And I, f- I remember this distinctly. People were saying Cole Reagans or Chase Silseth right at the beginning of August. Uh-huh. And I was like, we got to stop this. Cole Reagans. I was one of them. And then Reagans has a bad game against the Cardinals. Everyone goes, oh my gosh, think it was Celta. Celta. I'm like, no. So why are you on the Celta train? Uh, I think it's a, it's a late dart. Uh, but he had those couple games where it looked incredible with the slider and split finger uh, that really came alive in that August, September timeframe. Um, he got, I think he missed a couple, a few weeks with like a concussion at the end, yeah, but those terrifying. last couple months. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Was that like the comebacker? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love uh, guys that have shown they can be dominant and unstoppable, uh, even if it's a glimpse. Um, you know, there's a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, your guys, uh, Nick, who did not yeah. have a single game where he hit double digit strikeouts. And like, I like to see when a guy can strike out 12 Mariners. You know what's really um, fun though? Yeah. I- you have 10 strikeouts on the 19th from Sil South. You have 12 on the 6th of August. Do you know how many strikeouts you got in that start between? Like three or something? Four. Now, it was against Atlanta, so I can't be fair. But then the next two after the 12 were five, then four, then three. And, of course, he was removed from that one, um, as you mentioned. And then three in the return. 
Um, yeah, you got to find you, it and be consistent. Can right? you figure out uh, that 12 strikeout game and the 10 strikeout game? What were the impetuses or the, the catalysts, do you think, for those two games? You think the offenses or are you talking about in terms of his arsenal? Because I feel like slide, I would guess the slider and the split finger, he threw more and he got more whiffs. So slider in the first one had 10 whiffs and a 52% CSW. Do you think that's sustainable against the Yankees? Uh, I mean, against the Yankees, I'm just saying it was against the Yankees. Do you think it's sustainable for a full year? Oh, in general? Yeah. Um, 52% CSW. No, absolutely not. Okay. Then against the, uh, who was this team? This was against the Mariners, who are a team notoriously bad against changeups, really. Um, I think Patrick Sandoval's 32 whiffs. So it was like 20 of them on the changeup. Uh, 12 splitter whiffs that did not appear again the rest of the year. Okay. And this is, to me, the the allure of Silseth was him getting a 52% slider CSW against the Yankees and then getting 12 and a 44% CSW with a splitter against the Mariners, and also, by the way, having a 42% with that slider. I'm not saying that it's impossible that he's going to do well. He has a sinker that likes to go arm side, which I am here for. Um, It's not the worst fastball I've ever seen. The ability to at least hit that level, great. But if you want to talk about like a volatile, I have no idea when this is going to show up, and maybe I'll stream this against a weak opponent kind of pitcher, on a team that is terrible for pitching development and just fired to... They're only good development guys. Uh, not really the kind of dart throw that I personally want to make. I like your next one much more, though, Dan. This is a much better dart throw. And this is Graham Ashcraft. And uh, why are you taking Graham Ashcraft? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's every other month when I've had Graham Ashcraft in <laughs> some way, shape, or form. Uh, but yeah, I, like we've go back to to last March, right? He was probably one of the fastest rising pitchers on ADP boards because uh, cuz Eno Sarris's stuff was, plus came out, that's why. Yep, he's always near the top of the stuff plus models and most importantly in spring training he was showing that the strikeouts were actually there, but then they vanished when the actual season came around. Um and he was still weirdly productive. I feel like those first like 2 months he had like four K's per nine and he still had like a three ERA or something. And then uh, pretty much the regression fairies hit. But what's exciting about Graham Ashcraft is that obviously he sits 96 with his fastball. He gets a ton of movement on a slider, even though it needs to come along in terms of how he actually induces swings and misses there. Um, but in his final three starts, he did have 21 strikeouts. So that is the closest thing we had seen all last year. So this is kind of a hope and a prayer that he found something and holds on to it and that he can unlock this stuff plus model because that's not a category in fantasy <laughs> and can actually, uh, you know, become the the pitcher that is, as good as you can be in Cincinnati. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just think his cutter just is not well commanded. It's just not a well commanded cutter. He just kind of chucks in the middle of the zone. Um, the slider is, I think, really good. Uh, and the sinker, I think, needs to be utilized more. Uh, but he just can't command that thing either. 55% strike rate is terrible. Um, I mean, it's CSW with third percentile. 15%, not even, CSW <laughs> sinker. It, it's it's weird. 
Um, obviously, it throws really hard with the cutter. Um, Ashcraft has this uh, 96 mile per hour cutter. Uh, it's 96, 97 on the sinker and then 88 on the slider. And I mean, I've said this story multiple times. After the first three starts where he has three earned runs in three games um, and like this high ground ball rate and everything, I trade him away for Estuary Ruiz and in, in Towers. And I feel like a genius, you know? I'm yeah. like, I got this. Uh, actually, I think it was after his first six games. Uh, it was uh, five, three, whatever. It was, I can do math, eight earned runs in six games. And uh, I got my wisdom, sorry, a root canal done. So I, I, I throw out the trade in like, Sunday, I'm in immense pain, gets accepted by Doug Anderson. And I have to set my lineup for Monday. And I forgot because I'm just like all hopped up on, on painkillers. And it, that means that the trade gets reverted because I had set on an illegal lineup in Tower Wars, which is understandable. No. It's on me to do that. But I just, whatever, my mind wasn't there. So what does Graham Ashcraft do in his next oh, he got He got blown up. His next six games. Grand Ashcraft had a total six games after going allowing eight earned runs total in his previous six. He allows, uh, I, what is it? Am I looking at you? 48 earned runs? <laughs> no, 30, 38 earned runs in six games. Oh my God. In fact, on May 7th, he allowed eight alone, totaling the, the amount he had in the previous six games combined. Yeah. So I'm an idiot. <laughs> In eight games, he had 47 earned runs allowed. I mean, it was bad. However, Ouch. starting on the 30th of June through the end of the year, Graham Ashcraft was far better. He allowed only 22 earned runs in 12 games after that for a 2.58 ERA, 1.11 whip, and a 19% strikeout rate. 11% swing strike rate, 28% CSW. So maybe there's something to that. Obviously, the 91% left on base rate helps, but... Um, I want to believe that there's something that Ashcraft found with locating his slider and his cutter um, in maybe adding that sinker to be 14% usage. I don't know. Uh, sorry, not 14% usage being, <laughs> so that was, that was CSW, which is hilarious. It was a 35% CSW in that time on the slider, which is much more impressive. Um, I don't know. I think I, I do think that there is a possibility that Ashcraft can figure something out here. The biggest pushback I have is the cutter, and it's terrible, terrible, terrible command. Um, and I would probably say Kenta Maeda is someone I would go for instead. But that was mm. early in the round, and you couldn't do that. So, no, no problem. There's no one else drafted. I mean, they're I'm trying to think of like who wasn't drafted as a starting pitcher that should have been. And uh, that's gonna we're gonna talk about that in a second because we have Brandon Donovan as your last pick here mm-hmm. at second base. Um, I want to talk about him. Then, of course, I want to talk about the guys you also considered. So why Brandon Donovan in your, as your last pick? Uh, yeah, well, another another St. Louis Cardinal here. But I do – I like Donovan a lot going into last year. He had the the whole, like, driveline work. He, he put on more muscle. He changed out his bat. And then he was hitting for power in spring. And then the season started and everything went the wrong way. Um, so it was kind of like Contreras and the Cardinals in ger- general that it was really disappointing. But he finally started to turn it around in July where he hit 325 with an 872 OPS. Um, and then he strained his elbow and missed a ton of time from there. But a lot of people would look at it as like a really down bad season for what they were hoping from Donovan. And he still had the 13th best 
ideal plate approach in the majors. Um, and he hit 284 on the season. So he kind of righted the ship, um, 11 homers in just 95 games. So I think like the upside here for Donovan is like a 2010 guy who hits 285. Um, he should hit in the, the top third of the Cardinals lineup as well. So I still will be back in on, on Brendan Donovan. Um, and mainly just wanted to, to grab him and, and get some more insurance here in the, the middle infield. Um, but yeah, that's that's Brandon Donovan. I like him as a bounce back go. here. Um, would you say that he's a good uh, backup second baseman to target? Oh yeah, definitely. Or a middle infield option. There you go. Um, all right, so twenty three rounds here. Who were the other guys that you were considering at the end of your draft? Oh gosh, um, I probably sent the list. I'm sorry, Nick. I don't <laughs> have it in front of me. Well, um, I'll get that for you. Um, in the meantime, tell me on a scale of one to twenty three how you feel about this team. Um, I kind of wish I would have done one or the other between Snell or Luzardo. Um, I'm happy I took my medicine with my closers. I feel like I could have gotten stung worse with the middle infield because I like Kim and Swanson as the fallbacks. Uh, you said it that Gibson Long as the SP5 is a little bit light for what I would want there. Um, so yeah, the pitching doesn't make me as excited, but I do think I have the best offense of everyone who drafted. I will say that. So I would say a 17 out of 23 and most of the flaws being the top of the pitching. There you go. Um, and some other pitchers that people considered that, uh, yeah, maybe you might want to swap with still stuff. Maybe take a chance on Manoa to see if he's starting. Uh, Clark Schmidt was involved okay. some from people on uh, maybe some prospects like, Ben Brown, Cade Horton, um, David Festa, Robert Salinas. Um, if you don't know those guys, Jeff, definitely check out our Every Pitching Prospect article for 2024, Top Pitching Prospects for 2024 article. Um, some other ones, we have Marcus Stroman, Logan Allen. Uh, you mentioned J.P. Uh, Sears and John Gray. Um, I don't know why Alec Marsh is here. I'm just going to ignore that. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, <laughs> John Gray is a very interesting one, especially... Um, considering he's someone who has his ups and downs and if he comes out of the gate throwing 96 in the fastball with a good slider that actually does play for as long as it happens. So, and that's a quick, pretty quick uh, drop if it doesn't. Um, but, uh, but that is it. Um, is there anyone else that you wanted to really talk about before uh, we sign off here, Van? I do not think so, Nick. It was uh, great as always. Um, yeah. How many am I? I'm probably near the end of the run uh, here. Around the middle or so. Okay. Uh, let's see. We've done Weber. We have done Crumpler. We've done, I think we've done Chu. Uh, we've done Chad Young. We've done Steve. So there you go. Nice. Uh, nice. Maybe we didn't do Chu. I got to remember this. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're doing them. Uh, I hope everyone else has been enjoying these as we go. Make sure, of course, to subscribe to PL Plus, PL Pro as well to get all the best tools and uh, the, our community, uh, access to our community as we continue to talk baseball throughout the entire offseason. Um, but that, but that is it, Van Burnett. Thank you so much for joining today. Remind everybody where they can find you and all the work that you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. Uh, my, I'm on Wins Above Fantasy, co-host with Steve Giswelli. We are on every other Thursday throughout the off season, and as we get closer to draft season, we'll be on weekly on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Van underscore Verified or the Pod at Wins Above Pod. 
so yes, thank you, Nick. Thanks for uh, the whole network. It's obviously a blast doing it week in, week out. And uh, it's awesome talking, man. No, it, it, this is a blast every year. Um, and it's fantastic having you as part of the network. And um, that is also on the behalf of Van Burnett. My name is Nick Pollock. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.